for all my women out there, I just want you to know that you are a boss. Women have to be at the table for technology and innovation. And if not, we'll simply create our own. Don't feel like you shouldn't be a part of the tech space just because there aren't many women in the room. That's exactly why we need you to be there. Girl, don't forget to rep your set in these tech spaces, AKA rep your culture. You are the face of technology and the face of the future. Hey guys, welcome back to episode 12 of the Women in Tech podcast with your favorite host, me, Ariana. For those of you, it's your first time tuning in. Thank you so much for clicking and listening to the Women in Tech podcast with Ariana, where we talk about the latest news in technology, hear stories from guests and founders from all around the world. Um, our goal is to truly empower women to not only to be in tech, try tech, love tech, and to discover it, but we want all women to feel confident and understand that we do belong you know, in these tech spaces and to not just to exist in tech, but to show up and show out to own companies, build projects, take CTO positions and so much more. Um, my favorite thing about this podcast um, and that makes us so different from all of the other ones. And of course, I'm biased because this is my podcast. But, um, you know, in most podcasts you hear, their goal is to be inspiring, right? Motivational, encouraging for your life. But additional to these things, um, what sets us apart from any other podcast is, um, that you have or will ever listen to is our goal to to provide tangible resources that can help propel you um, and your ideas, your business, and your you know work life um, in the right direction underneath the umbrella within technology. So what we do is every other episode, you know, I'm I'm talking about news, or maybe there's a guest um, like our special guest today who will be on the show. Um, but every other episode, we talk about a tangible opportunity that can help you, um, whether it's for your business or startup, resources to help you learn a new programming language or a job opportunity that you should apply for, um, or maybe a conference that I really think you should attend, and definitely opportunities to have access to capital for your ideas and your businesses. We just want to make sure that we provide tangible resources that can actually improve you um, and give you assistance. You know, the goal is to point our listeners in the right direction um, so that you and your friends and women, other women in your network can be aware of what resources available out there. Um, I was I, I talk about this in, I think it was episode nine uh, with the South by Southwest pitch competition opportunity. But, you know, last year we found that uh, in an article, according to entrepreneur.com, that in 2018, out of $85 billion in VC funding, only 2.2% went to female founders. Um, and less than 1% of that went to women of color, which is just insane and ridiculous seeing that it's 2019. But our goal is to make sure that our listeners are aware of what's available to them so that we can increase these numbers, increase these percentages, um, and that we can have access to these resources. Um, some uh, some few reminders that I'm always telling you guys, make sure you subscribe to this podcast. If you're listening to me right now, you're tuning in on an app or a website, um, you know, we're really totally grateful for you. Um, but make sure you, that you subscribe to this podcast. You share and like it with your friends. We are available on nine different streaming platforms, all of the major ones. So yeah, make sure that you guys uh, subscribe to this podcast. And we thank you so much for tuning in and listening to us. We couldn't do this without your support. 
Another reminder, if you'd like to be a guest on the show, shoot me an email. I get so many of these emails, um, and I'm sifting through them to look at who will be next on the show. Um, but my email is ariana at huawei.tech.com. If you'd like to be on the show, or if there's someone that you think I would have a great time interviewing, please shoot me an email. Let me know about this person, the company, the idea, um, their position, whatever it is. Um, I love hearing from you guys and taking suggestions. You can also follow me on social media. I'll have my contact information immediately below in the podcast details um, of this episode. So again, thank you to all of our listeners who make this show possible. We couldn't do this without your support. So today, guys, we have a super extra, 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 extra special guest. Her name is Kendra Gant. Kendra is a seasoned analyst in technical product development with a degree in management information systems from the University of South Florida. Kendra works with global organizations to connect conscious design, interaction, and technology to fulfill the experience of the user. Kendra's passion for advocating on behalf of underrepresented groups in STEM fields is a guiding light in her journey. Dedicated to bridging the gaps between perception, knowledge, and mentorship, Kendra provides thoughtful communication and technical acumen to facilitate evolution in these spaces. Kendra, thank you so much for being a guest on the podcast. I am so glad to have you here today. Hi, Ariana. Thank you so much. I am very blessed to be able to be talking with you today and to share with all your listeners. This is awesome. Yes, thank you for tuning in. Now, Kendra, you know, let's, I always like to start from the beginning because I think it's important to, you know, it's, it's so cool to talk about our accolades and what we're doing and all that, but sometimes for our listeners, it's just really good to just go back in time um, so that way they can, you know, be, you know, relatable because we have different people who are tuning in. Some are just starting in the tech field. Some don't even know half the stuff that I described is in your bio, what that means, right? So we have different listeners and different people who are tuning in. And I want to know, um, you know, what has been your journey throughout technology from your earliest memory that you can think of? That's a great question. Uh, it actually started pretty early. So uh, my grandfather worked for a variety of custodial jobs at several different organizations, including uh, the high school that I actually went to, offices, banks um, around the area. And naturally, one of his responsibilities was to really facilitate the removal of junk, and I'm using air quotes right now, which <laughs> included machinery or equipment that these companies use to operate their businesses. And a lot of the times he found treasure in what these places were simply wanting to toss away, even if, you know, the items were a bit outdated. Um, and among these treasures were computers, some that worked and some that didn't. But still, it was interesting because he couldn't believe that people would want to get rid of them. So he typically brought them home with him. And I remember, I can see it so vividly right now, the first time that I came over after he brought the computers back, I was maybe six or seven years old and his front porch was full of them. And I mean, like stacked from the bottom to the top, like the perimeter of the porch. And I just stood there in amazement. I was at a loss for words because I'd never seen that much technology um, around me. And I think that's, you know, largely due to the fact that at the time we didn't have the resources to buy our own computers. And up until that point, I had only really used them at school. So whenever I'd go over there, which was quite often, I'd just play around and mess around with them. 
I got really good at solitaire and typing and customizing my system preferences. I'd even try to uh, like figure out how to fix broken computers by poking around the software, typing random stuff in the hard line, uh, in the, sorry, in the command line, breaking down and reinstalling hardware. Um, it rarely worked, um, but I really thought I was doing something. I really felt like I was performing magic, I guess. And my grandfather and I are very, very, very close. So it really doesn't surprise me in the least that he would be the one to inspire a passion of technology in me from a young age without even, you know, maybe realizing it himself. So I'm not sure that I would have known this was a potential path for me any other way. So really, I am forever thankful to him for that. And if I kind of go into the next, I guess, arc, if you will, from this early introduction, I went through my teenage years taking advantage of any opportunity I could to play with new and old technologies, which resulted in me being appointed, of course, the family IT support, which I'm sure, you know, maybe you and a lot of the listeners can relate to. Yeah. And in then in my sophomore year of high school, so this was about 10th grade, age 15 to 16, we were told that for our junior and senior years of high school, we could elect to go to a vocational or technical school for half of the day to take up trades ranging from veterinary care to cosmetology and digital media to even boat repairs. So, of course, you know, me, 15, 16, the first thought that comes into my mind is, cool, great, I get to get out of school for half the day, like, sign me up, I'll do whatever. Um, so I decided on computer systems technology, and the first year was a two-year program. So the first year was dedicated to learning and applying knowledge to build competencies in hardware, and the second year was dedicated to software. I had an amazing teacher uh, who provided great curriculum and mentorship. He also operated his own IT services and repair business. So it was really interesting because he was able to share the intricacies of business development, client relations, uh, finance, accounting, and really the qualities, the interpersonal qualities that it would take to own and operate a business. So all of this was extremely uh, intriguing to me and was very relevant to the rest of my journey. And it was really at this point that I started to realize the lack of representation as I was the only woman who was in the program as well as um, one of very few people of color. And this is a theme that I can say has followed me throughout my experience in tech and even still to this day. And I think having that early exposure to the disparities helped me to understand the space I was in, even if I didn't fully realize the nuances that um, came with it at that time. So halfway through the program, well, actually halfway through the first year of hardware, I realized that I didn't want to be behind a bench all day building and repairing physical computers. It's also around this time where I started to prepare for college. So I'm taking the ACTs, the SATs, uh, doing university and college tours, exploring you know, possible areas of study to major in. So another instance of realizing this representation gap was when I was touring universities and went to one of the programs or one of the sessions for uh, technology majors at a university and had a young man ask me if I was in the wrong room because uh, I, I looked a lot, I looked around and there were virtually no women in there. And so I, I began to feel really insecure. I started to think, well, maybe I'm really not in the right room. And 
So I think that insecurity that I may not be in the right field because there was no one that shared a resemblance with me was a lot on top of the fact that I'm a first generation college student. So navigating that landscape was admittedly a bit overwhelming, but we in here now, so it's all good. And I know that I love technology because really of its ability to bridge gaps in communication and deliver insights and functionality that ultimately improve quality of life, if we're doing it right. right. And I, I wanted to carry this on just more at more of an intersection of business and technology. So not just one or the other. And in this moment, I discovered a program called Management Information Systems, or MIS for short. And I remember reading the description and thinking, oh my gosh, this is it. Like, this is a capital IT it. Everything about it felt right, uh, because MIS at its core is all about providing the business or operational aspects of an organization with a line of sight into what makes technical implementation so complex, while also helping the technical component with an understanding of what we're doing, why we're doing, why we're doing it, and in my opinion, what's most important is who we're doing it for. So I was accepted into the University of South Florida, which is in Tampa, and after two years of doing my general education requirements, I was admitted to the College of Business, where I began my MIS concentration, and I took courses ranging from networking to business application development to global information systems, but also marketing, statistics, economics. So it was really the best of both worlds. And it really seemed like a beautiful convergence of everything that intellectually and intrinsically stimulated me. And in my junior year of college, it's a long journey, so pardon me. In my junior year of college, I began working uh, full-time in IT at a company just a tad bigger than a startup, which was an opportunity I came into through a mentorship program for first-generation college of business students. Um, and here I was a process analyst where I you know, worked with internal business units to help them map out their processes so that we could identify proper technology to put in place to reach different uh, goals or KPIs that we set in place. And that brings me to kind of more recently. So I, I graduated from USF in 2015 and took on roles specializing in analysis as it relates to technical product development. I've worked for organizations supporting both B2B and B2C application development, whether that was web, mobile, desktop, in spaces such as retail, e-commerce, supply chain, financial accounting, and more. And for most, I think if not maybe even all of my career, I've been working with Scrum, which is a very common agile software development methodology, and I am a professional Scrum master and certified Scrum product owner. Awesome. So yeah, really overall, I've been very fortunate to have such a wide variety of experiences in terms of the environments and verticals that I've worked in, along with the knowledge I've gained. So something I find really fascinating as I look back to connect the dots is the collective weight and impact of these experiences, because they've contributed heavily to developing a strong skill set that's allowed me to serve my teams with confidence and deliver impactful products to millions of people around the world. So I'm very excited to see where it goes. I'm very much still on this journey and I'm not sure that there's really an end in sight. And I, I think that's the thing that really energizes me beyond measure. You, you just dropped a lot of 
I have so many questions, so many thoughts that have come to mind yeah. um, as I'm thinking about your journey. But one thing that really like stuck out to me, like if let's like if we go back to the story of like your grandfather and him, you know, uh, working, uh, you know, a custodial job at your school that you went to. Um, and then bringing back, you know, this idea of what you said of like finding treasure and trash and like bringing back these computers that, you know, people no longer use. And I just think it was it's such a beautiful thing that you were able to see like before you were exposed to the world and you realized that, oh, my goodness, the majority of people who are in the tech world are heterosexual white males. Like you saw these computers and the, your first thought was not to feel inferior or to, you know, like, like you weren't smart enough or like you couldn't be confident. Your first thought was to figure out like, what is, you know, what do these computers do? What can I do with these things? Until you got exposed. I think you mentioned that you went to a class and this was before you did your tour at university. You went to a class for a program and you said there weren't many people, you know, not many women and definitely people of color in the room. And then of course, when you had that experience, at the university and I'm just I don't know like that just you know you telling your story and, and showing me that just kind of gives me hope of a world that I hope that my children in the future can you know like when they go into you know an engineering you know school and they're you know visiting all these big you know universities that they can see and you know they their first thought won't be man it, it's not that many people of color in the room but the fact that they could just focus on the tech like I just feel like that you know stuck out to me until you know you know, you were exposed to see that, um, unfortunately, it's not that way and that it's not as diverse as we want it to be. But that was one of the first things that stuck out to me. I'm just like, you know, like, what, like, for, there's, so there is someone who's listening to this show right now, right? Like, this is her first time experiencing going to a university. Maybe she's a freshman or a senior. And she's trying to navigate this space that is not as diverse as, you know, she'd like it to be. What type of advice would you give to some of our listeners today who are dealing with what you dealt with? Well, that's a good question. So I would say that when it comes to whether it's corporate America, you're at the intersection of technology, you're a woman, you're black, you're hetero, you're not hetero, I think it can be easy to try and want to conform to who you think you should present yourself as based on the core group that's around you. So my advice is don't do this. I know it can feel counterintuitive at times because we all kind of want to fit in. We want to we want to feel like we belong. And I know a lot of my life I lived because I didn't want to make other people uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. However, as I've gone through my own professional and personal development, I I really feel empowered and I want other people to feel empowered to bring their whole self to work. And if you don't see a role or an organization, whether that's a school or um, an employer that aligns with your inner callings, create it, take action when it comes to your career goals and really any goal in life. Don't sit back and wait for permission. We really are only as limited as, limited as our imagination. So, you know, I recommend seeking opportunities to connect with people in your desired field or who are trying to have these conversations, like how we're connecting right now, and maybe even going to meetups because these relationships are invaluable, even if they don't immediately turn into a job or a client or another income source. And I think some of the most profound experiences I've been afforded came from people who I met a year or more prior to even having the opportunity. So just because you maybe can't see it at that moment in time doesn't mean that it doesn't exist. We're all on a journey. We're all making our way through it. And I think if we're able to 
state our desire and follow it firmly with the emotion and passion that comes behind it, I really truly believe that there is nothing that, you know, we can, we can't do. And I would say more so at the intersection of technology, keep abreast of industry trends and how you can translate those best practices for the environments you're in. Because a lot of the times we go to these conferences, we, or these seminars and take courses where they're spewing these quote unquote best practices. But the reality is that those best practices were developed within the context of a certain environment, and it may or may not be the one that you exist in. So I think being fluid is key here. And never, 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 never stop learning. We move at such a fast pace, especially with technology, that it's only to our benefit that we keep refining and expanding on our craft. You just shared, like, I'm, you, uh, CC, she sees me, but, like, when you were talking, I was just, like, not trying to interrupt but I was so excited I was just like yes yes um because there's so many good gems that you drop and one thing I really loved is when you talked about how you used to struggle with um not wanting to make other people feel uncomfortable and one example that I always use is that um you know I'm super intense like I I remember like I would go to conferences and you know people talk about their passions and like favorite music and I used to be so ashamed because I'm like oh you know I don't want to come in and like you know, seem like that, just this hood ratchet girl, like, I just want to kind of fit in with everyone else, and just, you know, pick, like, because I, like, I do love, like, listening to classical music, so I would choose something that was super, like, let's just be straightforward, you know, associates with maybe the typical or average white culture, and, um, but now, um, I, you know, something just clicked in me one day, and I was like, no, actually, you love listening to Jay-Z, and one of your favorite genres is trap music, and that's okay, like, and it's okay to love trap music, and to still build technology, like I'm still gonna be better than Jeff Bezos, okay? And so, um, yeah, I, I I I totally hear you. I totally feel you when you talk about you know just coming into a space and being 100% yourself because that's how you're gonna build the best projects and technology and be you know like if someone doesn't want to be with me because of the color of my skin and because I love Jay Z and trap music, well then you just probably shouldn't be on my tech project. Like that's how I feel. Um, but of course, that's not like the majority of the work that I do. But I, I, I just really resonate um, with that, with what you said. Um, and, and when Kendra talked about industry trends, one thing that I do to make sure that I'm on top of industry trends is make sure I follow every single person. Everybody, everyone who's raising a million dollars, $30,000, however many dollars on Instagram, I always make sure I follow them. And then a trick I do is I go to who they follow because I'm like, so um, Delane, so he's the founder of, oh, what's the name of his company? I think I totally forgot. He, long story, oh, but he's the founder of Play VS and he just raised like $60 million and he's like the first, he's the youngest African-American male to raise that much money for his company and it's essentially it's like a, uh, um, it's like, it's esports but kind of like for, um, like NFL or whatever. And long story short, my um, Kendra talked about staying on top of industry trends. And so what I do is I follow him and then I look at who he follows because if he's doing the stuff that I want to do and where I want to be in it in a, um, one day, I follow the people he follow because I know they're going to be spitting gems back to me. So that's one way that you can stay on top of industry trends like Kendra mentioned. So, um, but yeah, those were some things that stood out to me. Like I was like going crazy over here, like laughing and like geeked up about what you said, Kendra. So that was super awesome. Um, so now you talk about being a, 
uh, uh, analysts, right, and working with technical product development and user experience. Can you give us, like, uh, maybe an example of some, maybe one of your favorite projects or a project you're currently working on so people can kind of get a little bit more in tune with um, what's the average day for you that looks like, you know, as an analyst? Sure. Uh, So I can say for certain that in my six years of working on my craft, there's really no such thing as average, especially when you're (laughs) rapidly and incrementally building and deploying software products. It's such a dynamic environment. And I think that's one of the things that I enjoy most about what I do. I thrive in that kind of atmosphere. And I love being able to consistently work on something new and add all these skills to my repertoire, whether they're it's um, how to write great user stories or create uh, UI UX mockups or wireframes. So I think if you don't mind, I'll approach this question in terms of the types of activities that I will typically engage in during the product life life cycle, if that's okay. Yeah, that's awesome. That's perfect. That's exactly what I want. Awesome. So when it comes to building technical products, you first have to build a backlog, which is a list of all the features required to deliver the product. But then if we take it even further back to build a backlog, you need a product vision. So an interactive and fun way that I've done this with teams that I've worked with is through workshop workshop sessions with stakeholders. So this has both business and tech representation where we write down the functionality we think our users want on sticky notes. And I mean, you should see photos of after it's usually like a, a whole day event and the whole room. Please is just- send me a photo. Please send me a photo. <laughs> I said, please send me a photo of that. I would actually like to see. I can share it on social media. Okay. I'll definitely send that to you. Um, and those features come from user feedback, analytics we're running, market research, um, all kinds of different things. So we put those up on a wall. And these end up being our features. So then we go through a prioritization exercise where we say, okay, This feature is rated as high, medium, or low in terms of how important it is to deliver our MVP or our most valuable or viable product. Um, Something I also like to use for this is Moscow. So must have, should have, could have, or won't have. Mm -hmm. And once we've determined a set of features for the next release of a product, it's then time to meet with our stakeholders, our design teams, our technical counterparts, such as technical architects, solutions architects, database administrators, to really engineer the requirements. And something I, I want to say here for everyone is a term, if you're familiar with analysis, a term that I hear used a lot is called requirements gathering. And this is something that I tend to shy away from because it feels like it's saying that requirements are readily available, just waiting to get picked up like flowers in a field or something. And that's honestly, in my experience, that's hardly the case. However, it also might be my favorite part because this is where I get to exercise my main method of communication, which is asking questions. So it's during this time where we really drill down into the expected functionality, dependencies, assumptions of what we're trying to develop. And a lot of times there are things in these conversations, Ariana, that weren't initially considered. So it's important to raise these to the surface so that we can holistically approach uh, our development. So it's all about immersing myself in the myself in the shadows of ambiguity to extract meaning and assist Uh, my team in the decision-making process. And once I've got a good grip on what we're doing and why, I create product backlog items or PBIs, which is a level below features in the hierarchical structure of the backlog. And these contain user stories, which is a a written analysis tool used to describe functionality from the end user's point of view. 
So that goes, you know, as a user, I want to perform some kind of action so that I receive this benefit or this value. So, you know, you could fill in the blanks. Um, acceptance criteria, any mocks, diagrams, such as data flows or process models, updating system specification documents. And once that's done, I go through a review process with our stakeholders and receive sign off from them to ensure that what was documented aligns with the expectation. And then finally, we are off to the development team to start building and testing. And it's during this time that I play a key support role in ensuring that any clarifications get resolved, unforeseen implications are communicated to our stakeholders so that we're all aligned on the expectation and can collaborate to find an alternative solution if we need to. And I would say that negotiation strategic thinking, communication, and creativity are all vital in successfully performing this role because there are often times where we've got many competing priorities and concerns coming from many different people at different levels of an organization. And all of these people have a stake in what's being developed. So I think being able to inspire a shared vision and help the team see that through is incredibly rewarding. And I guess maybe some other responsibilities I'll mention is uh, providing stakeholders with demos at the end of our sprints to go over what we've completed in that development cycle, interacting with external teams who wanna integrate with our system, different project management or release activities, and then triaging any possible defects so that we can then get them into our backlog and prior prioritize through a, a similar activity as I mentioned earlier. So there's a lot of moving pieces, a lot of moving parts, and a lot of people that go into building a successful product. And you know, it's so interesting because I, um, I'm, I'm familiar with everything that you just said, and, and maybe some of our listeners aren't, but like it, you know, when you hear it from this perspective of someone actually building a product, you, you kind of get a lot more respect, right? When you open your, whether it's, you know, a digital product or maybe a physical one, like, you know, a MacBook or maybe an application or something that you're using, but you know, people don't typically really look into, um, or think about, you know, how much, how many resources and people and training and like, you know, the focus on users, you know, um, center, um, what is it, uh, human-centered design and, like, all the things that go into, you know, building an awesome product. Um, so that's that's just amazing that you're a part of that process and can share that with some of our listeners. Now, I have an interesting question. So you talked about how, um, you know, you guys focus on how to deliver an MVP for the next release of a product. Are there any, like, let's say, maybe challenges or tips that you could share with people on how to build a, a good MVP. And for those of you who listen to who've never heard that term before, MVP stands for minimal viable product. So basically it's the minimum amount of things or features that you can have for your product to be able to launch it to your customers. Um, what are some experiences that you've had with, you know, building an MVP? I don't know how typically, you know, how long you guys have to do those things, but I'm just curious to know like what you've um, experienced with that. Yeah, sure. So as I mentioned, a lot of that comes from our user feedback. So it's kind of funny that you were you were talking about how sometimes, you know, we don't some people don't realize what goes into it. And I can say before I really got into this, when I would be using different software or hardware, I'd be like, oh, wow, it's just in front of me. It's like magic. Like that didn't require any work or effort. Right. realizing behind the scenes <laughs> there are people who are, you know, working 50, 60, 70 hours to ship this out the door. So um, definitely appreciate to every uh, appreciate everyone doing that. In terms of MVP, I would say that 
it really comes down to, I think simplicity and minimalism is often overlooked. So I think it comes down to realizing, okay, what can we deliver within the time frame that we have and the budget that we have that is going to provide our end users with the most impact to their quality of life? And I mean, depending on the product that you're building, hardware, software, application, et cetera, it could vary. So I would say I would really lean heavily on um, we've done like user groups or user feedback groups or different systems where we've collected that feedback from. So I would say really looking to our users to find out, okay, what is it that they want? What is it that they're expecting? And how can we meet that expectation? And how could we maybe even go a little bit beyond that and give them something extra that's really going to make them not only use the application, but come back to it, tell their friends about it, tell their coworkers about it, their family about it. So I would really say being focused on the people who are using it is the best way that I've um, come up with and experienced for delivering a quality MVP. I let me tell you, I totally agree. So I actually have a story about this um, last year of how I kind of overcame. So last year I competed. Um, so I'm located in Grand Rapids, Michigan. And so I competed in a comp- pitch competition um, hosted by Start Garden 100 Ideas. And they were giving away $20,000. And I won the competition, all that, made it to the final round, won the twenty grand. But beyond that, I remember, um, so for my original idea, so um, for one of my businesses, I own an innovative uh, beauty company where we sell secondhand cosmetics and we have this awesome you know, process and we partner with, you know, different brands and people across the country. But one of the things that really helped me to focus is I challenged myself. I said every week, because it is so, especially as a developer, it's so easy for me to get off focus and just want to build and like, oh, let me test Azure. Let me test AWS and all these different systems. But um, it was really hard for me to focus. And so one thing I did was I challenged myself throughout this competition. I said every single week, I'm going to set a number of people that I want to talk to who are going to be my customers. And so I would go into spaces like malls, you know, like places where people are buying makeup and stuff. And I would try to go and talk to a certain amount of customers every single week and every single day. And that was one thing that helped me. Um, so I think that's interesting that how even, you know, so that's the startup culture, but even in like this corporate environment, it's the same rules that apply, right? Like truly listen to your customers, making sure that you have an open ear because you can have a great idea, but if you haven't run it past a couple hundred people or maybe even a couple of thousand, you don't know if that's truly what people want and it can save you so much time and money and I'm sure Kendra you've experienced that for sure yeah it is amazing um so now Kendra so we there's so many questions and so many um things we want to talk about but I do want to make sure that we do have time to talk about the United States of Women program um so Kendra is a ambassador for the United States of Women um program and you know Kendra could you tell us a little bit about that program and what you guys do and how it started um I know that's how you originally reached out to me and I was so interested um in the program and what you guys focus on oh yes so exciting so uh, the United States of Women or you could say USOW for short is a national organization that's really dedicated to convening connecting and amplifying voices in really all of our fight for full gender equity It was born out of the Obama administrations for White House Council on Women and Girls. And that council is tasked with ensuring that there is a gender lens that is used when we're approaching different uh, work or topics or issue pillars. And this was founded in 2016. And what I love so much is that USOW really holds a unique position within the movement. We sit at a really uncommon intersection of politics, community engagement, culture change, and leadership development. 
And it's in my opinion that this profile allows us to serve as a go-to platform for partners, stakeholders, and our community to address issues facing women through an intersectional lens, which we all know is extremely important because the experience that one woman has isn't necessarily the one that the other one has, depending on their the way that they identify their gender, their sexuality, their race, their religion, um, any disabilities, you know, beyond that. So really, our purpose is to create change and provide visibility on these issue pillars of civic engagement, leadership and community organizing, access to education and many more, and to really facilitate these opportunities for women, for not just women, but allies alike to engage with one another and collaborate so that we can create a community around these issues and inspire a movement towards a more united state of women. And as far as the role that I play as an ambassador, if I kind of break it down by what I mentioned earlier, so connect, convene, and amplify, when we talk about connect, it's really being able to grow a network of local supporters who are interested in taking action, focusing on outreach to individuals who maybe haven't participated who maybe haven't previously participated or done so, but maybe they're looking to get more involved, collaborating with local nonprofits and other organizations on different events or actions that we can take at a, at a ground level. And these actions may include anything from mobilizing public support, meeting with local officials, maybe launching a newspaper campaign, planning a rally. And then when we talk about convening, this is really bringing together those supporters and stakeholders, such as our government officials, business leaders, the nonprofits I mentioned, and maybe other activists local in our community that to work on gender equity across issue areas. Um, the efforts are coordinated and collaboration is happening throughout regular roundtables, continued engagement, and really the eventual creation of a state statewide network. So I know within Florida, I'm in Tampa and I believe we got we have an ambassador in South Florida and I believe we also have one in North Florida as well. So there are three of us who are working together. And then finally, we come to Amplify. So this is where we identify individuals doing innovative, groundbreaking and or critical work in our community, such as yourself, to, that we think should really be highlighted on USOW's media channels, the community, and the community of USOW supporters. So this is for us to actively share and interact with the platforms and, and content so that we can amplify the messages of our partner organizations and our mission. Now, now this is really awesome. Um, and one thing that you, one word that you continue to use throughout um, your spill just now is amplifying the voice. Because like you said, there are women, there are people out here who are doing the work, but they just need the exposure. And that exposure helps to get their, whether it's a podcast or a business or you know, their nonprofit or their movement off the ground. Now, what are some ways that people can get involved? Is there a way that should people apply? I know there's like, of course, the ambassador program, but beyond that, um, what if, you know, I'm someone in Tampa, Florida right now, and I have a nonprofit that's helping, you know, women who, you know, make it out of sex trafficking. How can I get in, you know, in contact or, you know, what is this, where is the central place where people can kind of, well, obviously the website and learn more, um, but how can people like truly get involved? Yeah, I love that question. There are several ways that people can get involved. The first one that I'll mention is the Action Network. So this is, again, if you go to the UnitedStateOfWomen.org, you'll find this. 
And the Action Network is a crowdsourced network that connects you directly with organizations and causes working on the issues you care about. So perfect example is supporting survivors of gender-based violence, women's health and reproductive issues. So if you go there, you can take a look at what's currently being crowdsourced um, within your community and nationally as well. And it, they'll help you, con they'll connect you with people who are also doing the same thing and then provide you with insight into how you can further amplify your message or the ones that you care about the most. So that's the first thing that I would really encourage people to take a look at. And I know that over time, this is just going to continue to expand and expand and expand. So I'm really excited to see where this goes and how we can all pitch in to facilitate um, some really impactful change. The next uh, piece of advice I have for people who may want to get involved is signing up for the newsletter. So if you go to the website, you can go to join the movement and this newsletter comes out regularly and reaches a lot of people right now and it'll provide you with actionable insights and articles and other ways to get involved. And if you're tuned into this newsletter, you will also hear about the ambassador program and when they open up their applications again. And the ambassador program is an opportunity for not only current leaders, but future leaders who are passionate about improving gender equity, no matter their background or personal or previous experience. So personally, I'm not sure about you or many of our listeners, but I really haven't had much formal experience uh, with really formal activism. A lot of the times it would just come through conversations with friends or my colleagues and, and just, you know, not being afraid to speak up about how I was feeling about something that maybe I was experiencing or I saw something that was being experienced by the collective. So what I really love is that the USOW team ensures that ambassadors have the tools and the resources, connections, and overall the support that they need to tell the story of women's power and make a measurable change in their communities. And like I said, if you're subscribed to the newsletter, you will get emails on when the applications open up again. And the last one I will share is the Galvanize program. So this is a one day event that brings together women and allies to hear from an inspiring combination of both local and national experts who are really at the forefront of the fight for gender equity and also highlighting the work that's happening on the ground. So grassroots organization is a huge focus here. Um, it's in these programs or these events that we combine this with expert trainings on running for office, organizing, entrepreneurship, leadership, and like issues 101. So those are a few ways that people get, could get involved. So I highly recommend people do that. And again, that website was the unitedstateofwomen.org. Yeah, and we'll make sure to, um, we'll post all of the links and stuff, guys, on our website um, with Kendra's information as well. Um, and then we'll post the link to that in the episode details below. So make sure you click the link um, for you to get access to that information. So we can, you know, just make it easy for you. Um, Kendra, thank you for uh, sharing all those gems, all these tangible resources. I love it. Um, so Kendra, you are involved in a lot and I want to make sure that we have time to talk about all of these things, but so, so there's USOW, right? Um, but there's also the women in tech international program. Tell us a, a little bit about that organization and how you got involved. Yes. So Women in Technology International, or you can say WITI for short, is a global organization that helps women advance by providing access to and support from other professional women working in technology. As I mentioned, it's a global network. And I think at 
this point, they probably have over 2 million uh, people involved in the program and have programs and partnerships that really provide opportunities and a supportive environment. So I know some of the products and services include networking, a marketplace, career services and searching, national conferences, regional events, publications, resources, and even online seminars that you can um, tune into as well. So there are chapters set up all around the states and internationally. So I encourage people to go to witty.com to find one that's closest to you and see what kind of upcoming local events there are. In terms of how I got involved with it, I got involved with Witty back in 2015 as a project manager for an event called Geek Glam. So this was a fundraising event that fused technology, beauty, fashion, and I think overall just a lot of fun to provide visibility to women in tech. And I think my favorite part was we did a silent auction, which actually ended up funding a scholarship for a young woman local in a college that was studying in the STEM field. So I mean, not only are we providing this visibility, but we are actually walking away being able to say, hey, we, we're giving back to the community. We want to lift these women up. We want to support them, whether that's through the, these networking opportunities or even scholarship opportunities. So definitely a, a beautiful cause and something I'm very happy to support. And after that fundraising event, I served for a short time on their board as an administrative chair. And since then, I've taken to watching their online seminars and staying up to date on their publications. And we'll actually be going to a local event here in Tampa, I believe it's on October 10th, on how we can courageously lead as women in agile environments. That is awesome. Now, tell some of our listeners about agile. We've talked about it a little bit before, but some of our listeners may not know. Sure. So when it when it comes to there are different types of software development methodology, and I think that um, may, some people maybe are familiar with Waterfall, which is I think still kind of in place today, but it's more of a a slower process where you gather all of your requirements up front, you try to figure everything up out front, and maybe that works in some environments. Uh, but what I've been doing, like I mentioned, the past six years is agile. So I think the way that this is a bit different than maybe other methods is that it really puts an effort on self-organizing and cross-functional teams, meaning we have a team that will have developers, QA team members, you'll have architects, you'll have business analysts, you'll have a product owner, you'll maybe have some database administrative people. And these teams are self-organizing, meaning they are coming together to figure out how to fuse best and work together. It's not someone dictating how they should operate. It's not, it's not a methodology that's really laced in micromanagement or anything like that. And I think the focus on it is early delivery and continuous improvement. So we are continuously iterating on something. So when we talk about MVP, we come out with an MVP and um, I know Scrum is a specific branch of agile software development. And that's really what I run. And I've worked on teams who will run two or three week sprints. And within these two or three week sprints, what we do is we commit to a certain body of work, you know, whether it's two or three weeks based on the capacity of the team. And I think it really encourages us to be rapid and flexible and 
quickly respond to change because as I mentioned, technology is constantly changing and I don't think it's always realistic or feasible to have all of your requirements baked in upfront. So I think this is where Agile is able to really help us because we're able to quickly shift gears if we need to. Awesome. Thank you, Kendra, for sharing all those jewels on Agile for those of you who don't know. Um, you know, and yeah, guys, I'm, I'm hoping that you guys can take some serious notes and, you know, really focus on how the importance of talking to your customers, failing fast um, and, re, you know, you know, making changes to your product early. Um, it will save you money in the long run. Trust me, I'm in the middle of that now for a cannabis tech company that I'm working with um, as their CTO. And, and, you know, we're having challenges ourselves when it comes down to creating a good MVP, making sure that what we're building is, you know, um, in line with what our customers are saying and making sure that you have processes in line, you know, to continually make these, you know, improvements on your products and businesses and ideas. Um, now, Kendra, we are coming to a close of this amazing interview. Um, and it seems like it was so short because I feel like we're, I'm having a really, like a lot of t fun talking to you, asking you all these questions. But now what, what are some, and I, I kind of asked you this earlier, but, you know, what are some parting, not I guess parting words, but like some good, um, you know, advice that you would give to some of our listeners that are navigating the tech world? Uh, maybe it's a woman out there who, you know, she really feels a woman or a woman of color, you know, who you know feels uncomfortable in her space. Um, and she's just trying to figure out, like, how do I hold on? You know, you sound really passionate about all of the like, it's very apparent that the the programs from witty to usow um to the team that you're working with now that it, it you're you sound very passionate about it you know um you know how would, what would you, what kind of advice would you give to one of our listeners who maybe you know she's in corporate america or she's working on a startup idea and she is not feeling it like you know what you know you seem super confident in you know the projects and the programs that you've been working with and what kind of advice would you give to some of our listeners who may be struggling with that I know. Deep question. I know. I was just, I was like, you just, you just had so many gems and you know, you're, you're doing so much awesome, phenomenal work. And you know, sometimes people just need that one tidbit of encouragement or even if, even if it's not like a super deep, like what's what, like what's a, a phrase or a quote or something that's like, you know what girl, this will get you through. Yeah. I, let me see if I can squeeze another, another gem out for yeah. it. Um, <laughs> there, so there actually is a quote that I love from someone named Ken Wilbur, and he is a, a scholar of this idea of integral human development. So he has a quote that says, global problems demand global consciousness. Mm -hmm. So when it comes to what I envision for the future and what I hope people can take away from this is it's us coming, it's really us coming together to consider all of these aspects in parity. So whether that's how we navigate our own personal experiences to the discriminatory culture we face from mentorship to the career pipeline and representation and just the progress that we are seeing. So I don't, you know, I, I wanna, I wanna be kind to us and to everyone and recognize that we are making progress. So it's the integration of all of this human experience and knowledge. It's not separate from one another. There's very much a cohesiveness and a convergence that exists here and I don't think that we can achieve this if we remain 
in, I guess, maybe these more pre-modern stages of human development. So we really need to end this deadlock in combating global issues by integrating these experiences of all people, not just those who belong in the core groups, but those who exist outside of the core groups too. So I would say that, you know, realize that you're not alone in this. There are so many times where I didn't know who I could talk to because I was the only one who looked like me in the room. And I just thought that it just seems so outside of the realm of possibilities that I'd even be able to be successful. And I know that that kind of thinking was not necessarily, you know, conducive to my success, but at the same time, it allowed me to take a look in the mirror and say, you know what, you are more than capable of this. You're more than worthy. You are, you are deserving. And it's not just me, it's everybody. I feel that way about everyone. And what I really hope for people is that they're able to hone in on their inner power and continue to hold space for not just themselves, but for other people to, to not be so overlooked and be able to step into that and really just, just let, let themselves shine through. And I think with that, we would be able to, if everyone, I think everyone holds a piece of the puzzle. So if everyone recognized the piece that they hold and they brought it to the table and we pieced it all together, we would create this collective masterpiece that honestly is a force to be reckoned with. So I hope everyone realizes that they hold a piece of the puzzle and no one's piece is more important than the other. So just know that you matter, you are valued and you are incredibly loved. I love that analogy of everyone holds a piece of the puzzle because it can be so like if we're so focused on that other piece that looks super shiny and red and maybe red's our favorite color. But right now we're holding the blue piece of the puzzle. If we don't figure out where we fit in, the puzzle is not complete. Right. And so I love I love that analogy. I love that you gave that. Um, we're, you know, this, yeah, I, I don't know. I'm right now I'm on a high, this is phenomenal. And I just, your response to that was truly amazing. Um, and I'm really hoping that is encouraging some of our listeners out there who maybe, you know, you're confused or, you know, you don't know what the next step is. I'm hoping that, you know, this interview, um, you know, and other episodes just encourages you to, you know, try new fields and maybe, I don't know, maybe you could be the next analyst. Maybe Kendra will let you hit her up on LinkedIn. I don't know. We'll talk about that later. Um, but you know, our, so our last kid, question Kendra what what are some um, personal projects that you're working on that you're excited about and that you would like to share with some of our listeners sure Uh, so this October I will be fortunate enough to have the opportunity to give back to the community through a mentorship program that I was once a mentee in so to even think about that is just honestly mind-blowing to me because it played a huge role into where I'm at right now Um, except this time I'll be a mentor So I'm both nervous and excited, but most of all, I'm really looking forward to being a source of support and understanding to someone who is on a similar path as I have traveled and am still on. And then outside of, I guess, maybe business or tech, I would say overall, I'm someone who is constantly seeking new outlets for expression and learning. And I feel that these are actually even benefits benefiting uh, my work in business and tech, because I really think it opens up 
new conduits and pathways for thinking. So as of late, I've been kind of getting my, you know, creativity on. I've just been making these like multimedia collages where I combine writing, photography, and painting as a way to create outward symbols of what's going on internally. So anytime I get stuck at work or I'm spending too many cycles on analyzing something or trying to come up with a solution, I really turn to these outlets uh, to help ease that creative pressure. And as a result, I'm able to come back to the topic at hand with a, a renewed sense of perspective. And I think it also serves as a testament towards the fact that, you know, we're never just one thing. We're so yeah. dynamic, we're complex. And I think that's so beautiful. And I think that we should, you know, all strive to to bring that to any interaction or environment that we're in. So if anyone's interested in checking that out or working with me on anything, you can check that out on Instagram, which is at via.kendra, so V-I-A dot K-E-N-D-R-A. And if anyone's interested in working on technical product development projects or is looking for some counsel for volunteer efforts, I'd also be more than happy to collaborate on that. So you can reach me at Kendra L. Gaunt at gmail.com. And finally, for USOW, if there are people who are interested in learning more or anyone in Florida or anyone in any other state, if you want me to help connect you with the ambassador local to you, or you want to figure out other ways that you can get involved, you can go to the unitedstateofwomen.org or email me at kendra.ambassador at unitedstateofwomen.org. Awesome. Thank you, Kendra, for being an extra special guest on our podcast with the Women of Tech with Ariana Waller. You are more than appreciated, and I thank you for taking your time out with us today. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure, and I hope we'll get the opportunity to speak again sometime. Certainly will. And for all of the listeners, I hope that this episode really encouraged you and that you got a lot of gems. Don't forget to take those notes. We'll also tag and um, put all of Kendra's information um, in the episode details, and we'll also have it on the website. So you'll be able to click it either way, um, either of those um, outlets. Thank you so much for tuning in. Don't forget to subscribe, like, and share this with all your friends, family, um, and other people who, you know, you felt like would love listening to this podcast. This is your girl, Ariana Waller signing out.